2: My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a
1: golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful deal. All real, man. Love is... is well, too weak a word. for back. I loathe you. Love.
0: No, I loathe you. Why I love you, not not
1: you. <laughs> 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 I did as he saw. Don't let me... If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction. This ain't reality TV! let it and validate Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie!
3: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And
1: the Oscar goes to Green Book.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Negley. At time of recording, 11.07 a.m. on October 6, 2019. Joining me today, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello, And Dan Baer.
0: Good morning.
3: All right. So for this week, we're going to touch upon some news, answer some fan questions, go over trailers for movies that are both coming out this year. Late Breaker, Clint Eastwood's Richard Jewell, and uh, some movies coming out next year. You know, we've got to look ahead to the future and see what's uh, coming along the horizon. Uh, But I want to first start off by asking you guys a very, very simple question before I dive into uh, what it is that we all saw this week. Um... Are Marvel films cinema to you guys?
0: <laughs> I mean, technically. <laughs> they play in cinemas, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Listen, at the end of the day, uh, I don't care if it's right or wrong. The man has earned the right to say whatever he wants to say, and we can agree or disagree with him, and that's totally fine. It's not like whatever he says necessarily goes, you know what I mean? And I do think that... Um, people took his comments maybe a little too far, uh, <laughs> which is per the norm uh, nowadays with most things <laughs> on film, Twitter and such. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, that was just something that I found to be uh, quite interesting as far as the discussion is concerned. And it like kind of also like fed into uh, if Marty feels this way about Marvel films in a cinema, you know he's going to have to be prepared for how some of his buddies uh, within the industry feel about his film uh, playing on
0: Netflix. On the opposite side of that, I think that's the most interesting thing. Like because he has come out in um, in opposition to streaming services before, so I found that interesting. Since it happened, since it was announced that he was doing this with Netflix, um, and that's the more interesting angle to me. I, I honestly found that. The whole thing about Marvel, cin- Marvel movies not being cinema—that was a clickbait headline that got exactly what it wanted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it also sounds like language that somebody like Martin Scorsese would use, where you know you hear that, that oh it's not cinema and it fa- it seems like this very deep and profound thing, but I think for him it's just more so like it's just not movies that I like. I think that's what yeah, more so right. like for him. and that's what he said. Like he tried watching some. Didn't care for him and was just like, eh, "It's not for me." And I don't think you need to commit to twenty-two
0: movies to figure out whether or not you like something in a franchise.
3: No, that's definitely true. Yeah,
0: uh, and like that's the other thing. Like he said, there, you know, they're he likened them to amusement park rides or whatever. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. And the Marvel movies are very, very good at doing that. So I don't really understand what the problem is.
3: Speaking of Marvel films, uh, Tom Holland back in the MCU. Uh, we we're A little touch and go there uh, between Disney and Sony. Oh, so that's really, really exciting. And I'm really, really happy about that because I have to say, I, I really like Homecoming and Far From Home. And I like what they're doing with that character. And I love the way Tom Holland has played it so far. So I very much am looking forward to uh, more movies. And I'm glad that a, an agreement was able to be had uh, between both parties because that was a little scary there for a second.
0: Let's <laughs> get ready for a Spider-Man empty nester coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, okay, so what did we see this week? Um,
3: Dan, I pass it off to you first. Uh, what did we all catch up on at the movies
0: this week? <laughs> I caught up on Joker. Oh, yes, you did. And so did I. <laughs> so did Josh yesterday. We
3: had an amazing podcast on that yesterday. I, I just right. want to say for the record that I am so, so proud of that podcast review. And it's one of the, I think, best reviews
0: that we've ever done. I was I couldn't agree more. I thought that was a really wide range of people like backgrounds and views on it. And it was an incredible discussion to be like, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but like, that was why I love doing this so much is getting to talk like that about films with people who are equally passionate. So thanks guys. Yeah, that was, that was, that was it for me. Oh, that was it for you this week? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's the, it's the, um, the Jewish new year. So I have been incredibly busy between, uh, going home for the holiday and work. So that was all I had the opportunity to see this week.
3: Uh, Josh, are you the same way?
0: Uh, Well, Joker
1: was the only one that I really caught up in the theater. And as you know, we did a two-hour podcast on it. So you can hear mine and many other people's thoughts on it there. Uh, I do want to mention one film, though, that I saw on Netflix this week. And it was called Inhuman Kiss. And I don't know if either of you have heard of this movie. I have heard of this. This is
0: Thailand Submission? Yes,
1: uh, for the Oscar. And it is, yeah, it's a supernatural, like, horror movie, too. And it's, I mean, it's not, like, a perfect movie, but it's so fascinating to watch. And I think that if, especially if you are somebody that is into, like, foreign horror movies, I think this is something that's really interesting to watch, and has some really good character work in it too. So, and it's on Netflix, it's easy to watch. I would really recommend checking that out if you have any interest in it.
3: Uh, okay, so for me, uh, this is my last week at the uh, New York Film Festival. I'm finally, finally going to be catching up on uh, some movies that I know a lot of other people saw during the press and industry screenings that I unfortunately had to miss. Uh, but last week I saw Synonyms. Uh, which, I, Dan, I know you saw it at TIFF. Yep. And I just, I could not get on this film's wavelength. <laughs> it was unpredictable. It was yeah. challenging. Yep. Um, and it certainly held my attention. Yeah. But I, like, everything I was trying to say about identity and patriotism, I, I just found it very frustrating. Um, because it just, it, it lacked coherence uh, to it for me.
0: It, it was really interesting when I saw it at TIFF. It was a an audience that was very full of Jews and um, former Israelis and like, people who were very connected to Israel. And I think that the more connected you are to Israel and the, um, the issues and politics that are going on there, the more it makes sense to you. Um, I... I was I did it, none of it clicked into place to me until the very end of the movie and that was when I was like oh okay I think I kind of get it now <laughs> and then afterwards I um I got to hear the director um Nadav Lapid talk about the movie a bit and hear him talk about it I, I really made more things click into place. I I'm dying to see it again to see if I can make uh, more sense out of it now that I know some more things. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fascinating movie. Uh, it's definitely one that it, it's a, it's difficult. And I think, um, a little bit purposely. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's fascinating. If not one of the best movies I've seen this year.
3: Then I saw Joker, um, Everything I will ever have to say is on that podcast review. <laughs> I think
0: everything any of us have to say is on
3: that. Uh, I then saw Zombie Child at NYFF, which I found to be very interesting. And my 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 instant reaction to it was somewhere between life and death was my experience watching Zombie Child, <laughs> because I was uh, it it was a nine fifteen screening, and I was like on the verge of falling asleep while watching it. <laughs> uh and it would just was not what I thought it was going to be. It was definitely more grounded in realism and definitely did not uh adhere to like the typical like zombie uh genre aspects. Instead, it was more um like, you know, voodoo, uh ritualism and like the realistic idea of bringing somebody back from the dead. Um it was interesting, very interesting. Uh then I saw First Cow Kelly Reichardt's uh, latest film from uh, A24 will be getting released in March of 2020. And I'm very, very happy to say that it's my favorite Kelly Reichardt film. Nice. Uh, she's a filmmaker that I'm uh, not always quite at her tempo in terms of how her films are paced. Uh, but this is one that I really, really enjoyed. And I found it to be uh, poignant. And I really uh, I really enjoyed it. It was humorous. And it builds to a very, very memorable uh, finale. It'll be a small movie for sure uh, when it releases in the spring, but one that I hope uh, you guys can definitely check out. Great. Uh, And then I saw Lucy in the Sky yesterday, which I will have more thoughts on uh, on a podcast (laughs) review later this week. Suffice to say, it's a strange movie, (laughs) but (laughs) definitely not a boring movie. I will will give it that. And Portman... God bless Natalie Portman. She tries.
0: I, at this point, that's pretty much what I will be going to see it for is her. Yeah. I, and, and that's what I said too. I
3: was like, I'm here for Natalie Portman and for the podcast. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't need any more reasoning than that. I feel like, you know, that's no. pretty good.
0: It's interesting that you said it wasn't boring though. Cause that if anything, yeah. if any, uh, thing that I heard from people who saw it at TIFF was consistent, it was that, that it was too boring. Boring to be like in these so bad it's good kind of range.
3: Yeah. And then so um, this week to just kind of close out NYFF, I will be seeing uh, the trader beanpole and, Uh, Whistler's Martin Eden and I think I'm also seeing The Money Changer I'm not exactly sure I think that's happening now Uh, (laughs) and then uh, the festival closes out with uh, a screening of Motherless Brooklyn on Friday which I had the opportunity to see at Telluride Um, this past Friday Marriage Story dropped though at NYFF and the reception to it was just sensational I mean the New York crowd really really ate this movie up This movie, guys, I mean, if you have an opportunity to see it in a theater, I would wholly recommend it just for the applause that happens at every single screening I've seen so far, uh, where Laura Dern delivers her big monologue in the movie. It gets a huge reaction. And also, too, um, as we are very all aware, uh, Adam Driver singing Stephen Sondheim is also an applause (laughs) uh, (laughs) audience-worthy moment, so i i would recommend it just for that it's it's quite an experience and it's a lot of fun so but it will be on netflix you know well
1: i will be seeing it in a couple weeks
3: yeah can't wait
2: hey everyone i'm aaron
1: and i'm patrick and together we host the feelin film
2: podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit
1: yes sir talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion
2: New episodes drop every Monday morning and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks.
1: You can also find out more about the show at feelingfilm.com.
2: In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive
3: and
1: keep feeling film.
3: So, um, Joker came out. Uh, We had a lot to discuss, obviously, in regards to it. What I want to do really quickly is I kind of want to pivot over to the polls uh, because last week's poll was about uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And we asked everyone which is their favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance. We told everyone they could choose up to three uh, performances. And because the guy is just so... Uh, like, you know, it, there's just such a wide range there. Uh, I mean, it, it was amazing the different uh, answers that we received. The poll has officially closed, and there was a two-vote a two difference for the top two. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was super, super close. And number 10 is his performance in To Die For. Nice. Uh, number 9 is The Village. Which I'm a
0: little surprised by that. Interesting.
3: Yeah, all right. Number eight is Signs, <laughs> which is not a personal favorite of mine, but I understand where people are coming from. Oh, with
1: I that. love him in Signs. Yeah, I, I also like him really like signs, that movie. Too.
3: Yeah. Number seven is Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's really funny. I actually like kind of maintain all the time that Joaquin wasn't really acting when he did Inherent Vice. He was just playing himself. <laughs>
1: was anybody doing anything really when they were making Inherent Vice? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh. Uh. Number six is his performance in Joker. Number five is his first Oscar-nominated performance in Gladiator.
1: Which he's is really good in Gladiator. I, I had that pegged for at least top three. Yeah. Am I not merciful? <laughs> what does he say
3: at one point? He's like, I'm incredibly vexed. Or something <laughs> vexed. like that.
0: <laughs> incredibly vexed. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Number four is his
3: second Oscar nominated performance in Walk the Line. Number three. Maybe the most surprising uh, inclusion on this list in terms of placement. Number three is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here.
1: That movie has a lot of fans, I've noticed. He is great in that
3: movie, though. Like I agree. <laughs> and number one and number two, with a difference of two votes. Number two is The Master. And number one is
0: Her. Holy shit! yes wow that makes yep. me so fucking happy that is my favorite I mean, performance of his i um, love both of
1: those movies yeah. and both of those performances but i you know i my, my preference would have been the master but i'm happy with those being the top two
0: absolutely yeah. her is such a special special movie i and, I, and he is very special in it
1: I oh think. yeah especially him because for a guy who's really known for doing really big performances to see mm-hmm. something so drastically different, that's so yeah. internal and quiet, but still incredibly effective just shows yeah. you the range of
0: him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, like yes. he is known for like these really intense performances and that one is so, so light, but, but still like has weight to it. It's ugh, God, it's just incredible. And you're right. Yes. So different from him. So for this week's poll, Ang Lee's
3: film Gemini Man coming out this week. Oh, Mm -mm. I know. Right. (laughs) Seeing that tomorrow. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm excited for you. (laughs) Excited. We're asking everyone uh, this week, uh, which is their favorite Ang Lee film? And his entire filmography is listed as choices uh, to choose from. So. Out of uh, the hits, the misses, the Oscar successes, uh, which one is one that really stands out to you?
0: I, For me, it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by a long
3: shot. I wouldn't say it's by a long shot. I found this incredibly difficult, but I eventually also did settle on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon.
1: Crouching Tiger is great, yeah. But?
0: Well, yeah, there's a but.
1: <laughs> well, I mean... I would probably say that, for one thing, I haven't seen Crouching Tiger in such a long time, so I would need to revisit it. But having said that, it is kind of hard for me not to gravitate towards Brokeback Mountain, just by the simple fact that that movie means a lot to me during mm-hmm. the time that I saw it. And yeah. I think it is a really, really great piece of filmmaking, and I, that probably is going to be my answer.
0: It, it is. and like, And I... I do, Brokeback Mountain holds a, an extremely special place in my heart, but like to me, like that's how good the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is. That it yeah. is even like not even a question that that is his best over Brokeback because it's so freaking fantastic.
1: And um, like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time, so yeah. I need to revisit it, and oh, my answer might change when it. I do. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This is
3: worth a revisit. So another poll. That we released this week, uh, a poll that uh, kind of uh, dropped at the beginning of the month, actually. So, for this month, for the Patreon on Halloween, uh, we are going to be recording a podcast review for a quote unquote horror masterpiece. And so, there is a poll up that's going to be running until October 20th, where you could go in and vote for uh, which horror movie you want us to review. Uh, we will drop that podcast review on Halloween. And the uh, choices listed here, I mean, are pretty incredible. Uh, they range mm-hmm. from uh, Psycho, The Shining, The Thing, The Exorcist, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Carrie, uh, The Fly. They're, like, I, w- I don't care what wins this. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know?
0: It, it, any one of them is going to be a good movie to watch and a good discussion. So
3: I agree. Exactly. Can I – I I will just say for the record in terms of a little bit of biasness, um, The Exorcist is one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Just an FYI for people (laughs) that are listening right now. And I would not be against reviewing The Shining as a lead-in into Doctor Sleep.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: So that's something to definitely think about.
1: I am definitely pulling for Alien because Alien, to me, is in oh, my top God. ten films of all time. Love that movie. Alien is
0: freaking fantastic. I, if I'm pulling for anything, I'm pulling for The Blair Witch Project because I think that movie has gotten a bad rep over the years and needs to be rehabilitated.
3: All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, a movie that really got a bad rap when it came out was Suicide Squad. You all remember Suicide Squad, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I wish I could get
3: it. <laughs> Suicide Squad lives on in our minds as an Oscar winner for Best Makeup, yeah. which, oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, that uh, That's a win that I'm like, yeah, that happened <laughs> from time to time. Best Makeup or Most Makeup? Uh, definitely Most Makeup. <laughs> It makes things very interesting in terms of, like I've was, like i said uh, before, what they're going to do this year for the best makeup category now that there's five nominees. Like, yeah. are we going to get five really considerable, uh, thoughtful nominees or are we going to get uh, just most makeup contenders and yeah. have them be, you know, not so great movies? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Imagine if it was all like suicide squad click level movies (laughs) like i mean there is something to be said for you know recognizing movies that have one great achievement even though the movie itself isn't great but on the other hand like is the makeup in those movies really that great yeah
1: yeah but that's always something i appreciate about the makeup though is that they will kind of block everything else out and they don't care if the movie's terrible like yeah, we are going to give an Oscar nomination to Norbit because it's Rick Baker makeup and we don't care that you hate this (laughs) movie.
3: Well, regardless of which... Still an Oscar winner. Uh, with the discussion revolving around Joker, uh, Warner Brothers was super, super smart to drop a trailer for Birds of Prey, which is coming out in February of 2020, directed by Kathy Yan, uh, starring uh, Margot Robbie reprising her role as Harley Quinn, uh, being joined this time by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Journey Smollett bell Rosie Perez, Chris Messina, and Ewan McGregor. So... Let's check out the trailer for this one. Let's provide thoughts.
2: You know what a Harlequin is? A Harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. No one gives two shits who we are beyond that. The Joker and I broke up.
1: I wanted a fresh
2: start. But it turns out, I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation.
3: Spectacular news!
0: Miss Quinn, she belongs to me. Who are you guys?
2: And it's just like the sleepover. We should order pizza, Big costumes. Harley, focus. Okay. I'm the one they should be scared of. <gasps> not you. Not Mr. J. Because I'm all freaking, quick.
1: Who's having a good time? Get ready, ladies.
2: Chick. Never call a woman a chick. I like said broad, lady, woman. and on occasion, bitch. Bitch. What are you talking What's
1: about that? for me?
0: William? I really hate this trailer. I am intrigued by its weirdness. I don't think the weirdness does it any favors. I actually think it looks messy and mm. just. <laughs> I don't know what this movie is about. I don't know who these no, people are. No, um, I don't know. Definitely don't know that. It looks messy and sloppy, and I'm not feeling it at all. Which is rare for me when watching trailers, actually. like Usually I find something to gl- grab onto, and this, I just have nothing. I would agree
1: that it looks messy, but I do think it looks like it has a sense of fun to it that is a little bit more in my speed as opposed to uh, yeah. what the whatever fun they were trying to sell with the first Suicide Squad. And I think that not having David Ayer direct this is a big well, step forward yes. for any movie, really. Yes.
3: And I'll be honest, like I'm not familiar with uh Kathy uh, Jan's work. I'm at not all. either,
1: but she's not David Ayer, so that's already a step in the right direction.
3: It's already a win, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 very excited about the inclusion note of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's an actress that I feel like is tremendously underrated.
0: Love her. Yeah, yeah. I
3: always love seeing Ewan McGregor pop up in pretty much literally anything other than American uh, Pastoral. But, <laughs> uh, and I don't know that this this. The vibe of this and the focus on Margot Robbie, who admittedly her performance as Harley Quinn was one of the brighter spots of that movie. Um, this does just look like fun to me. And I think that's going to be a reoccurring theme here with a lot of our trailers that we're going to discuss on today's episode. Um, is that these movies don't need to necessarily change the world. They're going to be uh, early 2020 releases that are going to just hopefully be entertaining, you know? Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Hopefully. Exactly. I mean, there were a lot of issues with Suicide Squad, obviously. Um, I want to believe that having um, a female director and one who also is, uh, you know, a relative unknown uh, will help to give this a uh, an identity that will be appealing to many. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, here's hoping.
3: Yeah, exactly. And
1: my understanding is that Birds of Prey is trying to not be so connected to Suicide Squad. It's not going to really have that much to do story-wise. And they're taking a really big departure from it, which I think most of us would agree is a good thing. Uh, I definitely think so. definitely, yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see if it ties into the solo Batman film
0: coming out. Honestly, I don't even need it to do that. No, yeah. I just let it be its own thing. Like, why do these things have to be connected into a multi film character strand franchise cinematic universe, whatever? Like, I because everyone's chasing the Marvel money, but no, but like, why does it have to? You know, like, I mean, outside of that, like, why for you does it have to do that? Personally,
3: Um, it does. It doesn't have to. But I do think there is something to be said about taking the behaviors of binge watching television at home and translating that to the movie theater experience. If that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Matt, that kind of I'm not saying don't take this the wrong way, Matt, but that mentality is sort of like a stab in my heart.
0: (laughs) I mean, I kind of get it it,
1: a little (laughs) I think watching television and watching movies should be different practices. And oh, uh, I argued
3: for this on our Downton Abbey podcast. FYI, Yeah, I I, I totally remember
0: you were (laughs) very much against it.
3: But this was all. Yeah, but this was all. That was also a thing where it was crossing over. Like, I'll give it I'll give a great example. Like, I'm not going to go see El Camino in a movie theater because my experience watching Breaking Bad has never been in a movie theater. You know what I mean? I'm going to watch it on television. So like when Downton Abbey starts on television and then they tell us to go to the movie theater and it's like this back and forth thing. um, And I'm hoping to God like Disney Plus doesn't like do this as well, but I have a feeling they will. Um, Like I'm not okay with that, but I'm okay with your cinematic universe, quote unquote, starting in a theater and there are just subsequent sequels in the theater you know what i mean
1: yeah i just really like the idea of things being on their own i i like the idea yeah, of movies having stories yeah, yeah being standalone stories and honestly i feel like that to warner be...
3: brothers credit though joker uh is supposed to be the first of many that are going to be uh standalones that won't be connected to the dceu
1: oh yeah well i kind of feel like they have already gotten that memo because even if you look at like something like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, like technically those are connected, but they feel so different from like the Batman and Superman movies that came before that. I feel like they've already started working towards things being standalone, which I would argue is what they should have done in the first place.
0: Agreed.
1: I'm glad that it kind of feels like their mentality is let's just make a good movie and then go from there.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: pretty much. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Moving over now to another film, That is also coming out in 2020. Um, I'm gonna (laughs) pivot now from our one of our favorite franchises, the G C U, to another one of our favorite franchises. (laughs) Uh, this is Matthew Vaughn's uh prequel to the Kingsman uh film series called The Kings Man. Okay, it's like it's like separate, it's not one word. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's take a look at the trailer for this
0: one. This will not be a war of heroes. Which
3: is all to see.
0: this is going to be fun. <laughs> the world burns. You have no idea of what men are capable of. We must do something. I know you want to fight. But there are other ways of doing your duty. You're going to need a suit. (laughs) Come on. We are the first independent intelligence agency. Preserving peace and protecting life.
2: Welcome to the club. generals gathered in their masses That black
3: masses.
2: While governments wait for orders, our people take action.
0: Evil minds at blood destruction.
2: Now it's time to show the world. Sorcerer of death construction. How mighty you are.
0: Enemies think we are gentle men, but reputation is what people think of you. Character is what you are. Armed and ready. Armed, yes. But ready,
2: we shall see.
0: Is called a parachute. It means that one can jump out of a plane safely.
2: Rape
3: finds, suits. War pigs, English accents, Matthew Vaughn stylish direction. I'm there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just confused about the I to be honest, I did not see the second Kingsman movie. Didn't um, eh, I just yeah. liked the first one. I didn't love it, so I felt no need to see the second one. So I'm kind of looking at this go like, what is the timeline here? What's happening? <laughs> Like, yeah, the, this, the second on?
3: Kingsman's <laughs> Worth it just to, just to see um Julian Moore. Uh yeah, Julian Moore uh, I thought was a lot of fun in that movie and also um and also Mark Strong uh singing country roads uh with a mm. you know with like it just like his not so great but pretty admirable singing voice is definitely worth the price of admission alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that that movie, I mean both movies are problematic uh while still trying to deliver um light entertainment action with like some slick direction from Vaughn that in many ways resembles another filmmaker we're going to be talking about in just a second here. Um but Visto, I mean, you know, you look at the cast, right? You got Gemma Arrington, um you have uh Matthew Good, Tom Hollander, Jaimin Hansu, Daniel Brühl, Charles Dance. Great cast.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it looks it looks fun to me. I don't ever go into the Kingsman movies expecting to see you know, great cinema or anything. I just expect two hours of entertainment. And yeah. I think this one being a prequel and being in a different setting is really intriguing to me. And like you also said, Matt, that cast is really impressive. The lead in this movie, too... Is Harris Dickinson, who was in the movie a couple of years ago called
0: Love. Beach Rats? That yes, yeah. yes, and he is yeah. so that was my, <laughs> good. That was my favorite part of the trailer was seeing him. Like, oh, I was, I was here for that. Yeah, yeah, because he's so good
1: in Beach Rats, and
0: so it, good in Beach Rats.
1: And I've now kind of become a big fan of his. So I'm always on the lookout for whatever he pops up in. And I noticed that he was in this movie, and that's another thing I'm kind of interested in checking it out for.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So.
3: The only thing I'm a little uh, confused by is his name in the movie is Conrad, and I'm just like trying to figure out who he's supposed to be. Because to my memory, there's no other character in the other movies named Conrad. So it's my
0: confusion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
3: little,
1: little, little perplexed by that.
3: I, I thought it was supposed to be. Um, Colin Firth, you know, at first.
1: Well, this is during World War One though. He would have been
3: Yeah, so maybe there's a, a, a maybe there's a longer lineage there in Yeah, instead. I don't
1: think this is like connected to any characters in the first movie. I think this is just supposed to be the prequel founding of the Kingsman. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding uh, of the trailer. Okay.
3: So looks like fun. Well cut trailer, definitely got me interested. And, you know, Ray Fines. Come on.
0: Oh yeah. I mean who doesn't love Ray Fines? I,
3: I don't know a single person that doesn't love Ray Fiennes. <laughs> Ray Fiennes is one of those actors that I don't care what he's in. I'm going to go watch it for him. <laughs> you know? Amen mm-hmm. to that. Uh, All right. So then, like I was saying before, moving over from that to another uh, filmmaker who also loves uh, Men in Suits. Uh, <laughs> 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 is Guy Ritchie who's taking a bit of a break from the big budget uh studio filmmaking right now, going back to uh where he made his name, which is the small independent uh crime dramas. And this is called The Gentlemen. In no way connected to The King's Man, but you know, <laughs> Maybe there is a uh, double feature in there somewhere. Uh, this is being released January 24th, 2020. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one.
2: I want you to play
1: a game with me, Ray.
2: I don't wanna play a game.
1: Oh, please. No. I said, play a game with me, Raymond. Right. Lovely.
0: I want you to imagine a character. Your boss, Mickey Pearson. You're too smart to be blackmailing us, Fletcher. Yeah.
3: Sweet Mary Jane is my vice. Your poison, on the other hand, is and always has been the destroyer of worlds. You're out of touch, and I would like you to consider an offer. I am not
1: for sale. The plot begins to thicken. Now, I can't be specific about the heroes and zeros,
2: but our protagonist is a hungry animal. There is a lot of money hanging in the balance. Our antagonist explodes on the scene like a
0: millennial firework and has indirectly started a war. I think you need to see this, boss. That's the one to my phone.
2: How do they find it? I'm making inquiries.
1: His name is Fahok. It was spelled with a P A, so it sounds like Fahok. Please! Sorry, Fahok, Condor Fahok. Please!
3: You smell smoke it's because there's a fire so you're gonna have to stamp that out quickly
1: these people are gonna clean house and you are part of that house in the jungle the only way a lion survives
2: not by acting like a king by being the king
0: oh. brilliant I've been waiting so long really warming up now, isn't it?
2: There's only one rule in this jungle. It's when the lion's hungry, he eats. One of her associates had an accident. So you killed someone? No, it was the
0: gravity that killed him.
2: Do you need those phones?
0: Now this is a movie I can get behind. <laughs> yeah, I, I
3: I've always liked uh, the guy Ritchie. Like uh, you know the early uh, crime films that he yeah. did. Um, I I love Lock, Stock, and Two yeah. Smoking Barrels. Snatch is a lot of fun. Even Rock and Rolla has its moments, I suppose. Uh, but lately with, you know, starting with Sherlock Holmes, I I mean, like man from uncle was good.
0: Man from uncle was a lot of fun. I even like the Sherlock Holmes movies. I, I really do. I know that that's weird, but I know you're not supposed to say that out loud, but I (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I feel icky
3: saying that because I love the Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, BBC series Sherlock so much. So by comparison, Sherlock Holmes just feels so inferior to me. Um, oh, but sure. yeah, well, they, I, I get what you're saying.
0: Very different things. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I was saying before, that there was like a, a cast of people that got us pretty excited. This one also has equally. I mean, I just like look at this list and I'm like Henry Golding. <laughs> like, yes. Jeremy Strong. Yes.
0: yes. Hugh Grant. Guys, I didn't even realize I was Hugh Grant oh, at first. <laughs> he is looking like he's having the time of his freaking life in that trailer, man. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. So we have
0: him. Uh, we got Colin Farrell showing
3: up for one point. Um, oh, my loving or hated actor Charlie Hunnam. I still don't know what to do with him. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm well, I'm never mind. I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I the know.
3: inclusion of Matthew McConaughey though yeah. in a Guy Ritchie film is very intriguing to me. I actually thought yeah. at first when I when I saw the cast and I saw he was a part of it, I was like, oh, Is Matthew McConaughey gonna do an English accent in a Guy Ritchie film? And he doesn't, but that's okay. Um, I thought that this was playing uh, to Matthew McConaughey's uh, very suave, cool strengths in a way that I feel like we haven't seen from him in quite a while, actually, as an actor. So,
1: Yeah. I To be honest with you, though, I'm a little bit more cooler on the Guy Ritchie gangster flicks. I think they could be very fun, but I don't really get into them as much as other people do. So I'm not like excited about this movie. The cast is really good. And I am hoping that there's going to be the element that will make it fun for me. But just being a Guy Ritchie gangster flick, I will admit that's not the first thing that pulls me into it.
3: So if Charlie Hunnam and Henry Golding both take their shirts off in the same scene.
1: Oh, well, the best movie of the year. Yeah, <laughs> but do I trust Guy Richie to do that? Probably not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tom Hardy did play gay in Rock and Roll. So it's like Matthew
3: McConaughey was- like, takes off his shirt and he looks at Henry Golding and Charlie Hunnam and he's like, all right, now you too
0: <laughs> <laughs> <I>, That <laughs> I could totally see happening in real life. So
3: yeah. <laughs> he's like just smoking a cigarette. He's got his shirt off and he's just like, let's see what you got.
0: Yup. <laughs> All right, all right, all right.
3: <laughs> uh, the presence of Michelle Dockery always uh, great, um, especially after um, coming off of Downton Abbey recently, and uh, a lot of the uh, talk around that. So I'm very, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm intrigued by this one. Um, obviously, January release, um, most likely going to be a review on the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but I'm just glad that he's taking a break because after King Arthur and Aladdin, I was just like, guy, Richie, I am so done with you for a (laughs) while.
0: Yeah. Do something that you want to do again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is the
3: whole one for me, one for you that, you know, sort of thing.
1: Definitely feels like that to me.
3: Yeah. Okay, uh, moving right along here with the uh, trailers uh, and talking about movies coming out next year. Uh, This was a film that premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. um, And it is from a filmmaker that I know that we are all very, very big fans of here, Armando Inannucci. This is The Personal personal History of David... Oh my God, wow, this is a mouthful. (laughs) The Personal History of David Copperfield. Uh, hey, listen, they make fun of the name in the, in the trailer, yeah. so uh, I, I think it's intentionally a, a mouthful there. All right, let's take a look. This narrative is far more than mere fiction. I am David Copperfield. I
2: am indeed.
3: It is the true story of the life I was about to lead.
1: Your mama is ill. How old is she? Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead.
0: We're very sorry. I can easily recall people of strong character.
1: Good morning! Good morning!
0: Is it too early for Sherry?
1: A little
2: <laughs> early.
0: And weave their memory.
2: Come in,
3: form a queue. Into my life's journey. We're ruined. Like a
2: castle. Ladies! How can we be ruined? Right? Like a big castle. Pets! We could keep him as a little pet. <laughs> It was a joke, I'm sorry. I've been attempting to learn gentleman's humor from a book. This calls for a celebration. Hooray! This is a remarkable day. Did you hear that? I'm a huge maniac!
1: What an adventure we have had.
3: Oh! What in your up. head! What are you doing? Medicine. Reviving you. This is salad dressing. Is it?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um,
2: Sorry, what was your name? Copperfield. 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 This is Cropwood Trotterfield.
1: David Copperfield.
3: Oh, donkeys! This is a donkey free zone!
2: You're a remarkable woman. Very kind.
1: Well, you know, we really have a theme with these trailers and having really great casts in them because this is also just an... Um, an incredible ensemble in this movie.
3: I totally agree. Uh, like, Tilda Swinton, Dev Patel, Peter Capaldi, Hugh Laurie, Ben Whishaw. Uh, guys, woof, you know? And it doesn't stop there, too. I mean, then you have, like, Gwendolyn Christie is also in this. Uh, you also have um, Benedict Wong uh, is in this. And at the end of the day, Armando Inannucci is a filmmaker who... um, Like, I... Me, personally, I, I've never lo- enthusiastically loved any of his movies yet. I've always just liked them. Like, Dev Stalin, I liked. Uh, in the Loop, I liked. So, I don't know. I think the most intriguing aspect of this for me is Dev Patel, who yeah. I feel year over year keeps finding new ways to surprise us as an actor. And I just find him to be so intriguing in his choices right now.
1: I agree. Yeah, he is such a fascinating actor, and I'm glad that he keeps getting opportunities to do something different than before. He isn't right. really pigeonholed into one particular thing. He's really in- incredibly versatile, and I agree with you that he, along with the other members of this cast, but I think him being the lead is really intriguing to me. Did you see him in The Wedding Guest? I did see him in The Wedding Guest, and he is great I think the, that movie is just okay, but he's really yeah. good in it.
3: Yeah, no, he's sh- like, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I'm very intrigued by the fact that uh, he keeps finding new ways to surprise me. And The Wedding Guest was definitely one where I was like, I never would have taken Dev Patel to be a just masculine, tough, serious guy, you know, like this. And he pulled it off very convincingly in that, you know? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, after I saw it, I did tweet saying like, hey, this is a great audition for James Bond. 100%.
3: Oh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, for me in this trailer, though, in terms of like comedic timing moments and things of that nature, uh, that moment where he's like, that's how dressing <laughs> got the biggest <laughs> that, laugh from me.
0: That was hysterical. amazing. Uh, Dan, you missed this one at TIFF, right? I had the opportunity to see this one at TIFF. And based on what other people said about it, I chose to see something else.
3: Hmm interesting cuz i mean it is sitting with a 96% right now 47 reviews um,
0: yeah which is interesting um i think a lot what i heard was basically that the humor was very hit and miss um mm. some people really liked it a lot of people did not um mm. and it's interesting cuz that's certainly the most like that is not what i think of when i think of charles dickens and it's interesting that they decided to go that route. Um, but most of the people that I saw, they, they said, like, it's good. Yeah, that, that's that's sort but, of what I've been
1: hearing about it, too, is that it sounds yeah. like it's not amazing, but it's just a light movie. And, right, right I think, exactly. I, yeah. I do wonder if maybe when you're especially in a festival like TIFF, where there's so many big Oscar contenders that are dropping, when you see a movie that doesn't have those ambitions behind it. You walk away from it feeling like, yeah, it's just okay. When it's not really trying to be like all these other
0: movies that you're seeing in that festival. Yeah. And I think that you see Armando Iannucci adapting Charles Dickens and you think like, Oh, this is going to be like a big, you know, Oscar play sort of thing. Like kind of, um, you know, there's a, there's an air of prestige about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but being released in January of 2020, um, I'm sure it'll stand out, you know, Mm -hmm. So it'll be something to, uh, you know, get excited about uh, when it releases uh, in 2020 for us, probably, because it won't have that uh, competition surrounding it, I suppose.
1: I'm definitely looking forward to this. I'm I'm excited to see it.
3: Uh, Yeah, it reminded me a little bit in some ways of kind of, I guess, the, uh, the favorite, just in terms of taking the period setting and adding like a wacky level of humor to it.
1: Yeah. Mhm.
3: So anytime that yeah, you could take like the pompous like English um, setting and just like poke fun at it, I- I'm I'm really really uh, intrigued by that. Um, and I'm telling you, that salad dressing line is so funny. Man. <laughs> so oh, my gosh!
1: And also, props <laughs> props to this movie for having a diverse cast and not being yeah, shackled amazing. to this idea that just mm-hmm. because it's a period piece, like doesn't mean that you just need to have all white people in it. And I'm I'm glad to see that in this movie.
3: Absolutely. Okay, uh, and now, this is not going to be a 2020 release. This is going to be a 2019 release. This is a film that's actually going to be in the Oscar conversation. Uh, This is the late-breaking Clint Eastwood December release, which seems to, uh, you know, always be like... I made this joke. I'm like, I think I think Clint like just decides to wake up one morning and he's like, yeah, I think I'll think I'll make a movie today.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? serious, because I
3: feel like that's a, that's just amazing how they shot this movie in June, and they wrapped it in July, and it's coming out in December. What? You know? I don't think that's a good thing, necessarily. necessarily. (laughs) So, this is Richard Jewell, starring Paul Walter Hauser, Sam Rockwell, John Hamm, Kathy Bates, and Olivia Wilde, based on a true story from 89-year-old film director, Clint Eastwood. God bless him. Let's take a look at the trailer.
2: Let's get a new tape going. All right, Richard, here's what we're going to do. We need a voice exemplar. I want you to say into this phone, there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Richard, you're a national hero now.
0: Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job.
2: You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body.
3: Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it.
2: I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Stop trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. authorities are looking to eat you alive. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? His accusers
3: are two of the most powerful forces in the world, the United States government and the media.
2: I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Did he do it? Richard Jewell is an innocent man. He's a hero.
3: There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. One more time, it's a
1: little louder.
2: I report the facts. You've ruined this man's life.
3: There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes.
1: Do a couple in a row.
2: My son saved people's
1: lives. There is a bomb in Centennial
3: Park. You have 30 minutes.
2: You set that bomb?
3: There is a bomb in Centennial
2: Park. You have 30 minutes. I don't know how to protect you.
0: I think your client is guilty as hell.
2: They want to fry you.
0: You ready to start fighting back? I may be stepping in it right now, but I was really with that trailer up until the tagline.
3: I was very with this trailer because it was edited in the same exact manner as Gone Girl's trailer. (laughs) The rhythm, the music, literally everything about this was, I'm telling you, watch the Gone Girl trailer and then watch the Richard Jewell trailer. It is beat for beat exactly the same thing. I swear to God. Um, For that reason, it's one of my favorite cut trailers of the year. I really was supremely intrigued by this while watching it. And I really wanted to see it. For me, Dan, the line uh, in the trailer that got me going, uh uh-oh, was when um, Sam Rockwell said um, something along the lines of, like, the two biggest enemies here are the media and...
0: Yeah, Uh exactly. And And yeah, that was... I mean, but that didn't surprise me coming from Clint Eastwood. But but so and this is where I
3: stand on this right now. Um, I actually like because I'm a big Paul Walter Hauser fan. I think that he's been so great in these supporting roles that he's done so far. And I am so, so, so glad that he's getting the opportunity to play a lead role here. Um, especially too, because like, you just get this feeling that he's like the kind of guy that people might look at and be like, you, you'll, you'll never be a leading man, but you know, we'll, we'll put you in like, you know, supporting comedy roles and things like that, you know? So to just see him get this spotlight opportunity and he looks great.
0: He really looks yeah. terrific and, in this. And the funny thing is like when I first heard about this movie and like the trailer started, I was like, who, what, is, what was this about? And it wasn't until I saw him in like, I, I guess it's like the mugshotty picture that I was like, oh my God, I remember this. And he is a dead ringer for this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, dead ringer.
3: So, you know, great casting in that regard. Uh, the rest of the cast is pretty good here. Like we said, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, Kathy Bates. I've actually heard from sources that Olivia Wilde and Kathy Bates are standouts in this. And one of them could contend in supporting actress, especially considering how the field looks right now. So that's something to definitely consider. Um, it's written by Billy Ray, yeah. who wrote uh Captain Phillips, um, you all remember.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It's being uh produced uh by Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill. I there's a lot there's a lot behind this movie. Um the only thing I'm telling you that I think is gonna stand in its way is Clint's handling of the politics of
1: it all. I, I definitely agree because I was watching the trailer and that line comes up, and you do kind of bristle at it a little bit. There's also a moment earlier when, like, Olivia Wilde says, oh, you know, he fits the profile, he's the lonely white guy who's into law yeah. enforcement, and, you know, he's, like, the perfect target, and then the editor's sort of like, okay, just run it. And I don't know, like, especially after The Mule, which is not only a bad movie, but also racist as hell. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't really have that much faith that, that Eastwood's now just not making movies for a particular crowd. So I don't know.
3: I get that. But, um, what I will say in regards to as this, um, this is a true story. And yes, true. this really happened to this guy. The media really did. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's not like he's, um, embellishing in it. Like this really happened where he was painted as the potential bomber. and, the media really drove this story pretty crazy to the point where it ruined this guy's life. And he was completely exonerated later on. Spoiler alert for the movie, by the way.
1: I mean, that, that is all true, Matt. And I do recognize that, but I also think when you decide to tell a particular story is important. And especially when your trailer leads with a character saying his biggest accusers are the government and the media that is not an accident either.
3: <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not, which is why what I'm hoping for with this is I'm hoping that uh quality of filmmaking and performances kind of overshadow um that and it, it it's like I'm um, listen, it's going to be there. You know, the theme of it is going to be there. Um if he goes overboard with it, that's where it will probably get obviously a bad reception. Um but if he just has it there and focuses more, I think, on the uh human aspect of the story and focuses in on the performances. I, I think
0: that I think we might be able to uh forgive that if that makes sense. Well, but this is the thing. Like it was sort of what we were talking about with Joker 2. Like this <laughs> releasing a movie with this subject matter at this point in time may be a little bit irresponsible. Because now we're dealing with like this as an Act, like people will point to this movie as being like, this is what the media is doing now with certain people in positions of power. But now it is entirely justified and it is not the same thing.
1: And I think also just asking for nuance and complexity from Clint Eastwood right, right now yeah. is a tall order. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to,
0: and to this subject in order to play well now needs that nuance and complexity. Yeah, which Eastwood is just not doing.
3: Otherwise, it'll become like the front runner.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, the front runner was a movie that I, I just I, I couldn't I, I I couldn't I couldn't put aside.
0: That was a movie that was only nuance and released at a time when we did not need nuance. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Although I actually liked the front runner. I didn't hate it as much. as other. Yeah, people I know. I did, but, too. Yeah.
3: yeah. So we'll see where things land with this. I, I definitely agree. It's a wild card. But at the same time, Clint is someone that is still very much obviously beloved within the Academy. And uh, to your point before, Josh, there is an audience out there yeah. that is going to definitely, I think, you know, see this movie. Mm. And as American Sniper proved before, um, who knows, you know, the level of success that can yield as a result. You I know? mean,
1: even The Mule, we all, I, I assume everybody here, hated that movie.
3: Oh, I, I absolutely despise The Mule. I not even bother seeing it. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a horrible racist movie. But that movie made $100 million at the box office. Yeah, it did. It's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so there insane. is an audience for these types of movies out there. Even if we don't, they, they're not the most vocal, they will still go and see it. And I don't oh, yeah.
3: want to invalidate, like, you know, their experience if they want to watch a movie. I think it uh, a movie
1: if they want. You know, I'm not saying they can't.
3: You know, I'm. I'm just. Yeah, I. I mean, like, I. I don't want to get into a mode of like ever saying uh, this should not be released or.
1: No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. But I am recognizing. No, yeah. I'm,
3: I want to be considerate of other people's opinions and such, and you know. Yeah. Listen, they can have their movies, too, if they want. You know, it may not be for us, but, you know.
1: No, but, like, they can go and see it. I'm not saying that the movies shouldn't exist, but they are problematic as hell. And that needs yeah. to be called out, too.
3: Yeah. So, we'll see what happens. I mean, 1517 to Paris and the Mule in the same year last year was like, oh. wow, Clint, what are you doing? <laughs>
1: oh.
3: Oh. <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. I do like Sully, still. Sully I don't love good. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I don't love it, but I like it.
1: Yeah. It was a perfectly fine watch. I mean, Clint Eastwood used to be one of my favorite directors. I used to love a lot of his movies, but I feel like pretty much ever since Gran Torino, he has been just not doing it for me. And Letters from Iwo Jima is the last time I thought he made a really great movie.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, let's let's take a quick look here. Uh, I like Changeling. I really like Change.
1: I liked it at the time but I have not watched it since.
3: Gran Torino. Yeah, not a fan. I hate
1: that movie. I hate it. Invictus, I, I uh, okay. I was yeah, okay on it. Do you remember okay. anything from Invictus? I think that's a bigger
3: problem. I remember Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon's performances. That's really it.
1: Really? Okay. I don't like Yeah, Here, <laughs>
3: Hereafter I think is one of his worst movies of like recent years. I I I just despise Hereafter. So boring. Um J. Edgar is one of those admirable swing-and-a-miss movies where it's like you swung and you struck out gloriously, Clint. Yeah. (laughs) You know?
1: J. Edgar, to me, is another one of those movies that demanded nuance and complexity that Eastwood just didn't care to do.
3: Yeah. Uh, Then we have Jersey Boys, which... Terrible. Terrible one of the most forgettable musicals of the decade.
1: Exactly. Like, I have trouble remembering that he actually made that movie.
0: It, it, it is there. It's hard to think of for me of a bigger mismatch of director to project in yeah. recent memory, honestly. Yeah.
3: Uh, American Sniper, which, hey, listen, it's got its fans and I will not deny there are some really, really good aspects to that movie. There are also some
0: well-made movie.
3: Yeah. There are also some not so good aspects.
1: <laughs> Many not so good aspects, but there are things about it
0: you can recognize.
3: I, I will never forgive Clint Eastwood for the fake baby. I will never forgive him for that.
0: Oh yeah, but to me that fake. Well, baby he actually, didn't even want to use it. That was like a last resort. It just wasn't working.
3: Well, you know what, Clint? Maybe if he didn't work so goddamn fast well, and you yeah. took your time. <laughs> see,
1: that, that's the thing. Like, I think the fake baby is actually very important in Clint Eastwood's filmography because to me, it's like a giant metaphor for what he is like as a director. Where if the thing that <laughs> isn't that isn't supposed to be working isn't working, you just find the next solution real quick. It's, it takes five minutes, and then you just move on. Like I see that that's fake amazing. baby, and I just think. That is Clint Eastwood's style of filmmaking. Just do a quick move on and don't think about it.
3: Yeah. And then, you know, we moved to Sully, which had its fans. Uh 1517 to Paris, which I don't I don't know a single person. I like that movie. Uh, and then the mule, which I don't like. That's one of those things where it's like critics. I don't think liked it that much. I, I know some people did. I don't know, man. Like the mule was weird. That was a weird one from yeah. like for so many reasons. Uh, and I, I still don't understand what he was doing with having two threesome scenes in that movie. Like that was just like,
1: well, I mean, I know what he was doing, but it's just, it was just over my head.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad that he's not starring in this. Um, I'm hoping that if anything, I'm hoping Paul Walter Hauser knocks it out of the
1: park. Yeah. I'm rooting for him.
3: Yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, and one last thing, too. Uh, Sam Rockwell seems to be so determined to just take on every controversial role in Hollywood, and I don't know (laughs) what his agenda is. Like, why is this happening? Well,
1: I almost feel like whenever you have these really, like, questionably despicable characters, you almost feel like you want to cast Sam Rockwell because he's the only one who could even uh, make them somewhat likable. Like, you have to get the guy that everybody in Hollywood loves to make this character somewhat likable. So like just go to always Sam Rockwell. Cause everybody loves Sam Rockwell.
3: I'm just saying three billboards vice Jojo rabbit, best of enemies, Richard Jewell, like
1: Sam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Said, Sam? Yeah. Like let's take <laughs> a break. We, let's play a role where we actually are supposed to like you.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, can we do something like the way, way back again or, oh, um,
0: so no, yes, that was good. Yeah. You
3: know, anyway still love you sam absolutely you're great actor absolutely great actor
2: hello everyone this is jd from the in session film podcast each week we review the latest from hollywood california well yes brendan we also give top three lists okay yeah thanks again brendan additionally you can hear us talk other movie news trailers varying movie series or other interesting film related topics and even rants and raves of the week that's correct brendan on top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how
0: this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go
2: cry at midnight special again, okay? Oh, okay. That's what you're I will. good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, that's I don't how buy it works. That. That's just how it works.
3: <laughs> okay, now. Fan questions. Uh, We got to the end of the show pretty well this week, I think. And so we're going to answer everybody's questions here on the show. I thought there were some really, really good ones this week. I think there's um, a lot of really interesting discussion to be had. Uh, There's a lot of topics that were brought up. This one comes from Colby Told Me on Twitter. As an awards podcast, I fear there's a sentiment of critics who believe Joaquin's performance as Joker could win a lead actor Oscar. But it shouldn't because of the film and how a win could be an endorsement for his actions and embolden some audiences is this fair
0: i haven't heard that specific take mm-hmm. um i it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if there are people who are making it at all but um i think that's slightly unfair to the performance and i think it's slightly un like i think i feel like even the people who Might feel like they are seen by Joker, the movie. I don't think they would. I feel like that they wouldn't go to that level if he just didn't get an Oscar. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, like their sense of validation of whatever views they have they see in this character, I don't think would be hurt one way or another if he receives an Oscar nomination or an Oscar for it or not. And I, you know, I have other issues. Of why I think that it will struggle to get into the Oscar conversation, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be one of them. No.
3: This one comes from HLVD movies. Do you think anything can stop 1917 from winning sound editing and mixing?
1: Yes, it's called <laughs> Ford v. Ferrari. I, I yeah. agree.
3: I've seen Ford v. Ferrari. Um I wanna take this moment though to just say uh something about 1917. Which is obviously that behind the scenes video released this week on the making of the film. I, I don't know why a lot of people were so surprised that it was one shot when I thought it was pretty well publicized that it was going to be one already. But I guess maybe those that, you know, don't listen well, I to our think podcast. Because the first
0: trailer <laughs> the first trailer did not look like that. Yeah.
3: Sure, sure. That makes that makes sense, I suppose. Um, but I will say this. Um, I can report from a few sources who may or may not have seen the movie. <laughs> this is the film to beat. That's what I've been
0: saying.
3: I've heard that Sam Mendes is gunning for his second win. Um, the film's production design is incredible and stands a good chance to win. The cinematography is going to win in a walk. The sound categories could come along with it. Um, The acting by uh, the two leads is very, very good and very emotional and gripping. There is a lot I've heard about this movie.
1: The one thing that does concern me a little bit about the movie in terms of how it'll play in the awards season is that it does come out really late. And we have a shortened, condensed awards season this time. And I wonder how those
0: late breakers are going to play in this particular season. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, I feel like there are certain movies that can get away, or certain type of movies. Let me say, sure, that can get away with that. And I think that this, a you know, v- a high spectacle war drama designed to look like it was done in one take, like m- major technical achievement. I think that is one that can afford to open late and still like because it's going to be, you know. This is a movie that can withstand the Star Wars onslaught and be the movie that people are talking about because of how it's doing what it's doing.
3: I've heard that it's a very, very strong contender for picture, but there is a very, very big consensus that Sam Mendes is literally the one to beat for director, not Martin Scorsese. Wow. Think about this from this perspective for a second too. Because the minute I heard about this, um, what immediately came to my mind as far as just narrative is concerned is a win for Sam Mendes in director again for this movie would erase the bad feeling in people's mouths from uh, American Beauty, which for many has not aged well. And I think that there's – I definitely think that there is something behind that.
1: Possibly. I mean, and you yeah, sure. have seen that the trend with directing winners recently has been really big, bold, artistic spectacles. So it would fit the pattern of him winning an Oscar for it. Right. Yeah, it does feel like – also
0: feels like one of those um, wins director but not picture – type of movies
3: that's where i'm currently at on it yeah um yeah and we got to watch out for thomas newman
1: yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. always which
3: i mean i i think right now if i'm looking at score uh, as best as i possibly can i think it's between thomas newman winning his first one or john williams winning his sixth one Uh, okay, this one um, comes from James Scott. Which performance do you think will be this year's Timothy Chalamet in Beautiful Boy or Daniel Brill in Rush? A performance which has nominated all major precursors but misses out on Oscar nomination morning.
1: Honestly,
0: I, oh. I think it is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker.
3: I, I, I'm I with you. I was going to say the same exact thing.
0: I can buy that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other one that I can also buy is whoever gets traction for supporting actor in marriage story like i can see it happening to potentially both alan alda and um uh, ray liotta mm-hmm. or like you know where like the both of them get nominated at precursors and only one gets in for the oscar i could see it
3: happening to al pacino for the irishman um Ooh. sort of a similar situation would happen with like jack nicholson and mark Wahlberg for the departed where oh yeah one showed up and then the other in this case being joe pesci could be the nominee instead. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. Could definitely see something like that happening too. Uh, This one comes from Scott Kernan. Do you think Waves, despite the dying buzz, is still an Oscar contender as it seems to be going to multiple film festivals? As we have seen with Lady Bird and Moonlight, the marketing is very successful behind it. I think he's referring to A24's push Mm -hmm. for it.
1: Yeah. I think that movie is going to really be dependent on how well it does at the box office.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I... (laughs) It, especially since like you know the quote unquote controversy is going to follow it. It's going to be dogged with this movie. I have no doubt. Uh,
3: this one comes from Blake. Uh, Blessing game. There is a building consensus that the five directing nominees will be all male again. Noah Baumbach, Bong Joon Ho, Sam Mendes, Martin Scorsese, and Quentin Tarantino. Of those five, who do you think will be the most vulnerable? If we already get one female directing nominee, would it be Greta Gerwig? Marielle Heller or Lulu Wang? Uh, not
0: Lulu Wang.
3: I hate to I, say but it, but yeah, it won't be that, Lulu Wang.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think Lulu Wang is getting in for screenplay though. Yes. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to put her in for screenplay and not give her director. If they're I, I it's so hard because like you guys haven't seen a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but oh fuck, Marielle deserves <laughs> it so bad for this movie it is it's it's so so good and so she's kind of better than it had to be and she could be seen as being overdue from last year
1: exactly i was about to say that she does sort of have a little bit of a narrative building from last year where you know her movie got all these notices but none of that really came her way and she did actually kind of bring that up too and I think that there is a growing sentiment to want to reward her, especially
0: because it did seem like she was kind of passed over a little bit last year. Yeah. But on the other hand, like Greta is more of a celebrity director, quote unquote. Yeah, known quantity. Yeah. Yeah. So and a lot of people, you know, just love little women on principle. So (laughs) you never know what's going to happen there.
3: I've been hearing mixed reactions to little women. Yeah. So I'm not feeling good about it.
0: Uh,
3: where Marielle Heller for a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, that movie's got a lot of good notices so far coming out of TIFF. And I could very easily see that being the feel-good uh, consensus favorite for things like picture, director, Hanks, screenplay, maybe one tech nominee. It is so, so good i'm so excited uh, dan you you continue to hype it up every week and i'm just like i need this movie
0: now <laughs> I, I, I keep being afraid that i'm over hyping it but like really it is the film from tiff that i am most anxious to see again and like the one that i've thought about every day since you know it's just it's so
3: freaking good you now the hardest question now the hard, literally the hardest question bomb back Bong Joon-ho, Sam Mendes, Martin Scorsese, Quinn Tarantino, who doesn't make it for Marielle Heller then? And...
1: I think I would actually say Scorsese, and I know that that Matt, you were pretty firm on thinking that he's pretty safe, but I don't know, just looking at that list, I still at a bit of a question mark with the Irishman. I really don't know if that is going to hit as hard as we think it will, and I just feel like that movie is more vulnerable in spaces
0: than we are initially thinking. I, the, I'm thinking it's between Scorsese and Tarantino.
3: I, I think it's between Tarantino and Bombak. Interesting. I, I, I will say this. Netflix uh, gave me this very, very compelling speech about <laughs> Why they feel very secure about back and director and I I'm inclined to agree with them, you know, based on the movie and you know, my reaction to it. I love the movie. And I definitely found myself nodding and nodding and saying, yep, yep, absolutely. Totally hear what you're saying. And then I countered and I said, I think we also said the same things to a certain extent, uh, about other, other number one and number two, uh, contenders uh, for best picture over the last two years, that being Martin McDonough and Peter Fairley. Who both missed mm-hmm.
1: yeah they did but i also feel like their movies were very controversial and very polarizing and i think that yeah when you look at the director's branch especially when you combine a movie that is both polarizing and has direction that you know isn't the most flashy i that really is a detriment but bomb back I mean, look, I haven't seen Marriage Story yet. His I?
3: direction in Marriage Story, I would say, is like a cut above uh, like what David O. Russell does in like Silver Linings Playbook, for example. But it's like it comes from that same like – I don't want to say style, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, here.
1: but I also think Baumbach mm-hmm. is more respected than like a Peter Farrelly is, for instance. You know, he's yeah. making, Oh, 100
3: percent. Yeah. Making movies yeah. for a
1: while, making movies in that kind of same – artistic wheelhouse for a while. And I think if you combine that with Marriage Story being, you know, at least a top three contender, I think for most of us, that seems to me like a good safety net. It's not a guarantee, obviously, but it feels like, like I said, a good safety net for him.
3: I think the person then to fit your comparison about polarizing film is, I think Tarantino maybe.
0: Yeah. And the thing is like Tarantino always has a better shot in screenplay than he does in director. Um, they're going to have to if they really want that director nomination for him they're going to have to push hard the fact that this is quote unquote probably his last film you know and take the you know the sort of asterisk of probably off and say no this is his last film they're going to right. have to push that
1: no i just think that the reason maybe i put more faith in tarantino is i think once upon a time in hollywood is actually a stronger threat for best picture than a lot of people think it is because it came really? out earlier in the year that the festival season started and it's a little bit forgotten i think that movie is going to make a very strong comeback uh, once the awards start once the precursors start up and I think, oh, that, I think definitely yeah and i think there's going to be love that will return to that movie and i'm not saying it's going to win best picture but i i think it's in a very very strong position that it could Absolutely
0: agreed.
3: Uh, this one comes from Terry uh, Plucknett. I host the Almost Sideways podcast. When we talk Oscars, we always look for what we call the Tommy Lee Jones and Valley of Allah nomination. The nom that comes out of nowhere that no one saw coming. What would be your pick for something like that this year? Ooh, Ooh, yeah, I mean, that's,
0: that's like always difficult.
3: Oh. Here's what I will say in regards to that. I I, be, I guarantee you that... It's something that we're predicting now, but it's going to be something that we're going to drop once we see they are not getting mentions from, you know, uh, the major precursors or anything like that. And once we start to settle on a consensus five, it will be someone that we previously were predicting. And you know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be
3: it's, it's going to be something like that. So in that instance, I I'm trying to, like, think, like, who is someone in any of the acting categories that, you know, could easily be cast off to the side
0: here, if you're right about Little Women, then it could be Cressida Ronan.
3: Yeah. Um, let me think about this for a second.
0: I can I say what I'm thinking is well, hold that- on. Another
3: another example of this, by the way, was Jonah Hill and Wolf of Wall Street. Um, no, no mentions at any precursor mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So- only only like some critics groups, right? And yet he got in and supporting. You know what I mean? So
0: this is what I'm thinking for this. And uh-huh. It's tough because this leading actor is a crowded category this year, but yeah. I'm thinking that um, love for Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood could sweep up Matthew Reese. I would like to believe that. My
3: only issue with that is, like you said, how crowded um, yeah. actor is.
0: The other, yeah. and it's also from this movie, and I hate to be like only talking about a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood right now, <laughs> <laughs> but the other possibility. Is that they pull a double in supporting actor because Chris Cooper is playing the diner and like he's really good, previous Oscar winner has not done anything really Oscar worthy since. I, it's a baity part. I,
3: you know what I, I have one uh, that I that I definitely could think of right now. Um, I would not be surprised. And this is, uh, I would not be surprised if maybe because of the late release and the fact that they miss a lot of the major precursors. Mm-hmm. um, and that's why they don't get nominated and they maybe got, like I said, maybe two to four critics notices here or there, but we're not really, you know, so we're not really considering it actually happening, but I could see a world where Olivia Wilde breaks into supporting actress for Richard Jewell. And part of it is also residual book, smart love. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I could see that, you know, it, this is a difficult question sometimes because like you said, it, especially with the way that the race is right now, it's so early where things are still yeah. like up in the air where anything could happen. But I do, there's a lot of asterisks to, to this of my feelings because it's a movie that I don't think anybody has seen yet. So we don't even know if it's good or not, but I do look at the good wire and I look at Ian McKellen. Oh yeah. And I still wonder, cause I, Really, still feel like Ian McKellen is somebody that still has a big IOU from the Academy. That there's still a lot of love for him, yep. and even if that movie doesn't really play in any other capacity for Oscars, if people just really love him in it and they just really like the movie, you know, there might be some support there to bump him up a, other a few other contenders in that category. Even though I know Best Actors crowded, he totally. might still have enough support to do it.
3: Yeah. Last two questions. This one comes from uh, Travis Clark. Do you ever think there's a sort of group think that plagues the reviews of certain movies? I'm very mixed on The Goldfinch, but it was written off by many on Twitter uh, even before it was released. I know we all love to joke about Cats, but I feel a similar vibe there as well.
0: Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah. I actually, I actually, to a certain extent, feel that we kind of got it this week with Joker, to a certain extent. Yeah, where it's like people are just like I, I'm everyone else is shitting on it. So I'm going to get in on it. You know what I mean? We saw that happen. Uh, this is not movie related, but we saw that happen with Game of Thrones season eight where it, it became like
0: really cool to hate on it. You know, well, Joker is interesting because I feel like that also happened in its initial screenings. Everyone was piling all over themselves to be to have the most praise of it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No. Games. So it can go the opposite way, too. I yeah. I totally hear that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, there is an, an element of groupthink when anything comes out, especially if it's a very high-profile contender and you're the one of the first people to see it. I think that's especially when groupthink's pretty bad. And yeah. in the festival settings also, you know, festival fatigue is a thing that happens.
3: I'll give a great example of that. When we were watching uh, Irishman at the world premiere, the first screening of it ever, I remember a lot of people, like, just being a little hesitant to open up Twitter and they were kind of like asking around, what did you think? What did you think yeah. before I <laughs> say what I, you know what I mean? So I, I did see a little bit of that take place.
0: But like part of is, do you think that's really a, like what is everyone else saying so that I can say the same, so that I'm not part like, so that I'm not going against the consensus or is it checking to see like, to make sure like, Oh yeah, I, I was right. Everyone else is thinking the same thing.
3: I, I just think, I, I think people are scared of the hive mind. Mm.
1: Yeah. Especially when you are at a film festival and you are watching something for the very first time. And you know, people, whether they want to admit this or not, they like to be on the winning side of things. They like to be yeah. with the consensus. Like people do, they don't like being on the outside of things. They like it when they can agree with the majority of the people out there. And you know, it happens. And I think oftentimes that's when you get movies where you see them and then you wait like a couple of weeks later and it's like, well, maybe I wasn't as quite on the same wavelength as other people were. But you just try your best to be as much as your own opinion as you can. And it's unavoidable sometimes, but mm-hmm. you just try your best to, you know, wade your way through that.
3: Yeah. I mean, my roommate uh, met someone who listens to the show and he was like, you know, yeah, Matt doesn't like uncut gems. And I'm like, I <laughs> <laughs> am like, I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I am going to watch it again now. We'll see if my opinion changes on it when I watch it again. Last question. This one comes from Simon Waite. What are your three most disappointing movies of
0: the year so far? Uh, I'll say my number one is The Goldfinch. Mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to that. I... Loved John Crowley and I liked the book and it was a great cast and I was really rooting for it. And I like the more and more that film went on, the more and more I was just like, ah, oh, it's so close. Number one for me is
3: easily glass. Uh, I was so let down by glass, especially considering the level of hype I had going into that after, uh, after split.
1: Yeah. Um, You know what? I think I'm going to say that my most disappointing film, and this isn't to say that I necessarily thought it was a bad movie, but I think maybe just my level of anticipation going into it was not matched at all, and it was Rocket Man. And I know that there's a lot of people that love that movie, but I think the fact that, especially coming off of Bohemian Rhapsody and not liking that movie at all, and seeing trailers for Rocket Man and thinking that this was going to be something that I was really going to enjoy... Not liking it to that level was, I think, a big disappointment for me. Mm.
3: I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And as I'm thinking about it more here, I, I, I have to mention Uncut Gems, I guess. Uh, because I did go in that, into that with a great deal of anticipation. Um, mm. So that's definitely one. Oh, uh, It Chapter 2.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
3: That was another one for sure. Still haven't seen that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Halloween's right around the corner. I know,
0: like it's just it came out at a really busy time for me, and I wanted to see it because I did like the first one, but yeah.
3: And I know this hasn't come out yet, but um, I, the Aeronauts is another one. Really, <laughs> I just was. Yeah, I. After that listen, I saw I remember I watched a trailer in the airport heading over to Telluride, and I was like, oh man i I, I love this is playing. I can't wait to see this, you know, oh really, and <laughs> well, because the spectacle of it all and everything like yeah. looked great but um, and for it to get such a high profile release to telluride, I was thinking that this could be like you know the real deal, and yeah. it just wasn't you know, oh oh, and then going back like way, way back, I did not go as crazy for the report as so many others did this year mm. um. And that's like going all the way back to Sundance. So, yeah, yeah. All right, that's that's good enough. We'll let, we'll
1: end the podcast on a
3: down <laughs> note.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> all right. Anything else to say before we go?
1: No, don't think so. No.
3: <laughs> all right. I look forward to the rest of the award season. Uh, October is definitely a very, very stacked month in terms of content. Uh, this month we're going to be doing uh, Patreon reviews for What We Do in the Shadows uh, that To Be Determined Halloween Horror Fan Voted Masterpiece. Can't, can't wait for that. Uh, the Laundromat, Dolomite Is My Name. We got Gemini Man. We're going to be doing Jojo Rabbit, The Lighthouse. Uh, we got some really, really exciting stuff. Uh, coming this month that I'm I'm just like yes like every week it's like yes 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 you know <laughs> it's a lot of fun so it is the season yep tis the season and then next thing you know it'll be November and boom 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 critics awards baby <laughs> can't wait phase two oot always fun alright with that said Josh where can I find you on the internet
1: you can find me on Twitter at JR Parham
3: and Dan Baer <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at DanceAndDanOnFilm. And And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 162 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Play, FMACast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. As we said before, we have some Patreon exclusive reviews coming this month. For $1 minimum a month, you can get that exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.